Taking your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 15. Our reading tonight is Matthew 15, 1 through 9, as we continue through this gospel. Let us pray again upon this occasion of God's word being read. Our gracious God and Father, we do come before you again, confessing our need. We confess, O Lord, that we were just here before your your throne with many petitions, with much need. And here we are again. O Lord, we are needy now for your help in hearing and believing and obeying your word. We pray, Lord, that you would look kindly upon each and all who are gathered here and that we would, by your grace, through the working of your Holy Spirit, recognize the authority of God speaking therein, that which we are now to read from Matthew 15. And that we, Lord, would have ears to hear the preaching. We pray that you would grant us a believing heart and grant us a reformation of life. Oh, Lord, we pray that you would so illumine into our soul the truths of your word that we would be ready and willing to give our reputation, to stand upon it, give even more if required of us. But Lord, we pray that we would side with thee, for you have not lied to us. We thank you for your prophets and apostles. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew 15, verse 1 through 9. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say... If anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. This is God's word. A tradition long taught and advanced by the Pharisees was to ceremonially wash hands before eating a meal. Now, this hand washing was not about hygiene, which means children, 
<laughs> you still have to wash your hands, unless that is not a rule in your dirty house. No. <laughs> this hand washing was ceremonial. It was not about hygiene. It was not about getting dirt off your hands. It was about getting the sinner off your hands. When Pharisees returned home after being out, they washed away any defilement they had picked up from being in a world of sinners. Now, God's law did not require this. But the Pharisees required it of themselves. And they expected it of anyone who took God seriously. Now, we should remember the Pharisees were 6,000 of the most Orthodox Jews in all of Israel. They took the scriptures very seriously. When you went into the Jewish encyclopedia of the day and looked up austere, severe, intense, there was a picture of a Pharisee. They took personal piety very seriously. In fact, the word Pharisee is just another one of those words in Israel for separatist. This morning we heard the word Nazarite. This is another word for separatist. They believe that if the Messiah was going to come to Israel, it would be in large part because the Pharisees led the nation back to a scrupulous law-keeping. They believe that they were the great luminaries of Israel, that they were the bright lights of their generation. However, what the Lord Jesus sees when he looks at them is a black hole of utter darkness. The Pharisees were actually leading people away from a true knowledge of God, not toward it. Later, in Matthew 23, 16, Jesus will call them blind guides. In fact, in Matthew 23, Jesus will call the Pharisees blind on five separate occasions. Spiritually, they live in the dark, but nobody knows more of the Bible. And one thing they were most blind to and in the dark about was their own religious hypocrisy. A Pharisee would not come to you and grab you with tears on his face and shake you and say, I am a hypocrite. I am a hypocrite. You would not hear that from them. They didn't know it. But they were hypocrites. That is the nature of religious hypocrisy. It most controls those who think they are the most righteous men. Because they think they are the most righteous, they are those most in the dark as to how false they are and how far they are from true religion. What then is religious hypocrisy, which our Lord charges them with in our text tonight? Religious hypocrisy is fundamentally being false. It is presenting yourself before God and before other men as something you are not. And you are content to have others think you are something you are not. In our text tonight, the Pharisees are coming to Jesus to correct him, right? 
to instruct him, to reform him according to their traditions. They are coming to be his teachers. In their mind, they are guides. They are guides into greater and more faithful godliness. They're going to set Jesus right. But before Jesus is done with them in this encounter, he publicly calls them out as hypocrites. They are fundamentally false religious men. They make an outward approach to God. They say serious things about God. They speak with great concern about perceived loss of godliness among the disciples of Jesus. But inwardly, their hearts are far from God. To put all this another way, religious hypocrisy is presenting yourself as clean on the outside while remaining filthy on the inside. Later when, the, later when things have gotten really bad between Jesus and the Pharisees, they're not, they're not so bad yet in Matthew 15, but they get really bad. And that's when the Pharisees start to plot his murder. So later when things get really bad between Jesus and the Pharisees, Jesus will say this to them, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. That also comes from Matthew 23, verse 39. Religious hypocrites practice the public ceremonies of morally clean and spiritually attentive people, but in secret, their corruptions remain hidden inside them, undisturbed inside them, even unknown to them. Now there is a very prominent accomplice to religious hypocrisy. And you know what an accomplice is. In a life of crime, an accomplice is the person who helps you pull off the murder. An accomplice is the guy who helps you pull off the theft. I hope none of you grow up to have, a, have the career of accomplice. The accomplice to the crime of religious hypocrisy is the tradition of the elders. That's the accomplice. Look at verse 2. The hypocrites come to Jesus all the way from Jerusalem to accuse him and his disciples of breaking the tradition of the elders. This tradition is so important to the hypocrites. They decide by it if a man is godly or ungodly. If a man keeps the tradition of the elders, he is godly, a man of moral stature. If a man does not keep the tradition of the elders, he is ungodly, an unworthy man who falls gravely short in moral stature. That's how the Pharisees are thinking. According to the hypocrites, Jesus is a failure. His discipleship ministry is a boondoggle because his disciples are so dumb, they keep breaking the traditions of the elders. 
Jesus is a failure because he does not require the disciples to perform the ceremonial washing of hands before they eat. Now, where in the Old Testament was such a ceremonial washing of hands required before eating? In the first book of Nowhere. Nowhere. And that, beloved, helps us understand exactly what this thing called the tradition of the elders really is. It is an extra-biblical invention. Extra-biblical means coming from outside the Bible, coming from the word of men, not the word of God. Extra-biblical innovations are man-made religious traditions that may be useful in some way, such as having cushioned chairs. That's a useful tradition in churches. Wasn't the tradition in my first church? (laughs) We had pews from 1836. You couldn't fit a regular human body on those pews. You always ended up sitting at 45 degrees and making sure you had a good chiropractor. Some traditions are useful, but they become devilish when necessary, when commands, when a determining factor of your godliness. The Pharisees and the scribes were binding these traditions of the elders upon the people everywhere in Israel with very severe warnings. Listen to some of these quotes from the rabbis. Now, some of these rabbis wrote about the tradition of the elders 100, 200 years after the death of the last apostle even, so 300s. But that they were written down doesn't mean that they were first thought of when they were written down. A lot of oral tradition is in circulation among the rabbis before it is written. Here are some of the quotes from the rabbis on the importance of the traditions of the elders. Quote, he that blesseth food with defiled hands is guilty of death. Another. Whoever eats bread without washing of hands is as if he lay with a whore. Another, whoever despiseth washing of hands shall be rooted out of the world. And one more that states the great value overall that they put on the tradition of the elders. My son, attend to the words of the scribes more than to the words of the law. Everyone that transgresses the words of the scribes is guilty of death. The importance of tradition was a well-known feature of the Pharisees. Flavius Josephus, the great Roman Jewish historian who lived in the first century, he wrote about this very matter in one of his greater works called The Antiquities of the Jews. What I would now explain is this, that the Pharisees have delivered to the people a great many observances by succession from their fathers which are not written in the laws of Moses, 
And for that reason, it is that the Sadducees reject them and say that we are to esteem those observances to be obligatory, which are written in word, but are not to observe what are derived from the tradition of our forefathers. And concerning these things, it is that great disputes and differences have arisen among them. While the Sadducees are able to persuade none but the rich and have not the populace submissive to them, the Pharisees have the multitude on their side. That's Josephus. And if he is accurate in his historical record, the Sadducees opposed the way the Pharisees held so tightly to the traditions of the elders. And the Pharisees, however, won the day and that most of the people listened to them. Now, before you are too soon drawn to the Sadducees, you should remember they, are, they were the very group who denied the resurrection. That is why they were sad, you see. But they were right to reject the traditions of the elders, but they may have rejected that tradition for wrong reasons. What we want to understand, however, is the Pharisees here, they loved the tradition of the elders. One reason they loved them, these traditions, is the traditions allowed them to distinguish themselves outwardly in new ways. For example, if I persuade you all that men should be wearing a suit and tie to worship services, that that is a proper godliness in the public assembly of the church, if I persuade you all of that, I have created a rather easy way to make myself appear godly in public worship. People can see that I am keeping the suit and tie tradition. And seeing me keep these outer, extra-biblical rules makes you think I am godly in all the other areas of my life that you can't see. That is what the Pharisees hoped for. They hoped to be clean on the outside. The outside is what they cared about. But Jesus is calling them out here because he will not, in his great love for his own disciples, he will not let his disciples be turned over to these wolves. And so he says in chapter 16, which we'll get to soon enough, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. He knows how attractive it is to yield to the outer righteousness that has been propagated by multitudes of traditions that are extra-biblical. Instead of answering the Pharisees' question to him, Jesus returns a question to them. And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? Our Lord has just raised the stakes, hasn't he? The Pharisees and scribes want to talk about breaking traditions. Jesus wants to ask about breaking commandments. They want to talk about disobeying elders. Jesus wants to ask about disobeying God. Jesus then immediately shows that he has a specific commandment in mind where they are keeping their tradition and making void the word of God, the fifth commandment. 
honor your father and your mother. And instead of citing some rabbi for this, Jesus cites directly from the Bible, Exodus 20, verse 12. He then immediately adds another scripture that further presses the fifth commandment. Whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. That's Exodus 21, 17. Now, it seems to me that Jesus is adding that second scripture because it has the language of death's penalty. Because they, the scribes and Pharisees, believed you deserve to die if you broke with the tradition of the elders. Jesus is saying, here's why you deserve to die. You who question me about the commandments of men, you deserve to die because you break the commands of God. The Pharisees and scribes regularly broke the fifth commandment in order to keep a tradition, another tradition that they had invented. Not the hand-washing tradition, but the Corbin tradition. And we know it is called the Corbin tradition because our Lord uses that word in his description of it in Mark 7. What would happen is a Pharisee would look upon some significant wealth that he owned either in property or coin. He would look upon his riches and he would put his hand on it and say, this is Corbin. Meaning from that point forward, his wealth, whatever he touched, was now devoted to God and could not be even used to take care of his ailing, sick parents. It could never be revoked. And if you are in the guild of the Pharisees, the club, it was kind of convenient for you to put a lot of your treasure under the banner of Corbin because it would then continue to be in your control in the Pharisaical bank and guild. And you had a religious grounds now not to have to use it for the feeding and keeping and sheltering of mom or dad. How far their hearts were from the worship of God. So the law of God required that a son should honor his parent, which meant that a son should provide when his parents were old, when they were in distress. Now, it meant many other things, the fifth commandment, but it certainly meant provide. Didn't Paul say later, teaching the same commandment, that anybody, any believer who does not take care of their own family, whether above them in age or below them in age, is worse than an infidel? Infidels were running the church under the garb of clergy in the days Christ walked the earth. So the Pharisees and scribes said it was more important to dedicate your property to God than to provide for the needs of mom and dad. And so in Matthew 15, verse 8, the Lord goes on to quote directly from Isaiah 29, 13, After he charges these men as hypocrites, he quotes Isaiah, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart 
is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. These hypocrites, they made a show of worshiping God. Men were seeing all their severity. Men were seeing all their traditions. And men seeing these things would have thought that these men, these Pharisees and scribes, were surely the most serious worshipers of God, the most devout men of God. But Jesus is saying it's been in vain. And the word vain simply is a way of expressing emptiness, hollowness. There's no weight to their worship because their worship has not brought a communion of hearts between them and God. You know where we've seen somebody full of devotion, but his heart far, far, far from his father? We saw that in the parable of the prodigal son. It's a perfect illustration in scripture of what it means to have a heart that is far from God. The elder brother, who never rebels, never walks off the job, his dad looks out the window and every day he sees the elder brother out there on the job, up early, working the farm, helping produce. And when the younger brother finally comes home, smelling and reeking of pig flesh, having squandered a great share of the inheritance, when the father embraces that younger son and the father cancels that younger son's legalistic plan to be received only as another servant in his father's farm, and says, no, no, you are my son. And he calls for the fatted calf, and he calls for the ring, and he calls for the robe, and he receives him back as a son. There is one other person on that farm who hates everything that he sees his father doing. His heart is far from his father. It's the elder brother. And the father has to go out and plead with him to come in to the party. Your brother's home. My son was lost. He's found. And the elder brother is angry. And he says, I I never did anything wrong. I never stopped working for you. And you never gave me anything. His heart is far from his father. He doesn't like his father. He doesn't want to be like his father. Now, take all of that and bring it to our text tonight. In vain do they worship me. Their heart is far from me. God wants to care for the parents of sons and daughters who call on him for salvation, who hope in him for salvation. And so he sets a command upon the heart of the redeemed and says, take care of Take care of your mom and dad. Honor your mom and dad. I have given you a new heart. Go use it now to do what I would do if I were in your shoes upon the earth. Use your resources, your riches, your back strength, your biceps muscles, your 25 more years of working. Use it to keep your parents in good shape, in a good house, with good food. 
The Lord says that. And they say, no, 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 no. This short life is about me. Corbin. That's what they get from their tradition. They look austere, they look severe, but they are far, far away from the Lord. I have just three brief points of application, then we'll be closing. Maybe four, because we're the church of the bonus. Do not put that on the sign. That's just inside baseball. Number one, beloved, do not fear men so much that you are unable to break their traditions. If you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, he will lead you to break extra-biblical traditions. He He will lead you to refuse participation in the empty ceremonies of austere religious men. Do not fear men so much that you are unable to break their traditions. It is not lawlessness to break the traditions of the elders. Their traditions are lawlessness. It is, in fact, honor to the authority of Jesus Christ and to the word of God. Break their traditions so that you may keep the commandments of God. Now, to do this, you must know the scriptures. Look how our Lord Jesus quotes from Exodus 20 and Exodus 21. The great danger is that you don't know the scriptures and you tell yourself, I'm not disobeying God. My heart is close to his heart, but you don't know his will because you don't know your Bibles. It is, of course, wonderful to be savvy and smart and know when you are being played by the traditions of the elders and saying, no, thank you. But it is not so wonderful to not know the commandments of God, to not know the scriptures. And is not our Lord Jesus teaching us by the way he answers here that we, his disciples, must also have facility and competence with his word? Beloved, read your Bibles. Hear much preaching. Read good books so that you are not played by the traditions of the elders. Number two, Jesus Christ is the great shepherd and protector of his people. Our Lord is protecting his little flock in this text. He is putting his hands out and saying, no, no, no. Why do you break the commandments of God for your tradition? You will not disciple my disciples. You will not teach them what to feel guilty about. No, no, no. This is the shepherd of Israel. He is not allowing his little flock to become wolf meat. Beloved, you and I, in our union and fellowship with this this great shepherd, 
should be able to stand not only contramundum against the world, but contra ecclesia against the church. The Pharisees were of the church of God. They practiced clergy abuse. They put burdens upon the little flock of God. In our union with Christ, the great shepherd and protector, who will always stand with any one of his children who stands on his word, who hides in his word, who will live and die by his word, he will always be with them. He allows us to do even what Martin Luther did at the Diet of Worms, to sit at that table and receive a death sentence and say, here I stand on the word of God. Do not be afraid to be contra ecclesia. Do not be afraid to tell the bishop he's wrong. I had to tell that to a man Friday who's a member of the Episcopal Church. Your bishop has adopted the traditions of men on the definition of marriage. It is your duty to tell him he is in error. Yes, he's a bishop. He's a high-ranking official in the ecclesia. But contra-ecclesia is the word of God at times. Why? For the church. The word is often opposed to the church when she adopts the traditions of the elders. So we see our Lord Jesus as the great shepherd and protector of his people, and will he not go on from this scene to incur the wrath of these very same men who have come down from Jerusalem? He is going to incur their wrath because he refuses to participate in their deception. Jesus refuses to congratulate them for at least being sober-minded and religiously serious men. He does not want a worship or devotion to God from them that is of their own design, of their own commandments. And lastly, let us not ever have the words their heart is far from me, lost to us. May it ring in our ears until our dying day. For those words, their heart is far from me, speak in the most plain language what is God's will for us. His will is perfectly illustrated in the symbol of John Calvin, a hand holding a heart offering it up to God. He wants our heart. Not the religious austerity that we can cobble together with a few of our own rules. Well, I can do that, that, and that. I know it's not in the Bible, but I can do it. Watch me go. He wants our heart. And we can only give him our heart. We can only give him our heart if we do the will of God according to his own word not according to ours. We have no communion of heart with him if we are just obeying the traditions of mom and dad or grandpa and grandma or that wonderful neighbor lady who has really taught us how to live the religious life by several 
traditions that we never checked out with scripture. God does not have our heart. He has our heart when we say, your word commands me and keeps me and guides me. Beloved, may we see the great love of our Savior Jesus Christ here, that he goes toe-to-toe with the wolves, and by this encounter they will go home and sharpen their fangs. They will lengthen and strengthen their claws, and they will come back for him and tear him to pieces because he fights and protects his beloved flock and dies for us and tells us, according to his word, that our sins are all forgiven by faith alone. The tradition of the elders would never allow that gospel to be spoken in Israel. No, 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 no. Your, your sins can only be handled if you keep the law and mount up a pile of works according to the law. That's the tradition of the elders. It's garbage. It's death. It's hatred. Jesus himself is truth, love, and treasure. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Shepherd us, Lord, in our day. Grant us the courage to be contramundum and contra-ecclesia, not willy-nilly, not as some show of bravado, but according to your word. Therefore, Lord, grant us to know your word. Grant us to be ourselves students, also known as disciples. Let us be taught of God, and let us be bound to that which is written by the prophets and apostles of our Lord. And Lord Jesus, we thank you for your protection. We thank you for your boldness and love for us that surely hastened you to that hour. May we return unto you a proper affection that we would, we would be bound by your word and not by the words and commandments of men. In Jesus' name, amen.